Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring Orson Welles, Sir John Gielgud, Don Amici and Francis Langford as the Bickersons, vocalist Frankie Lane, plus comedian Johnny Carson. Orson Welles made many appearances on the CBS program Suspense, but one of his most memorable was on November 26, 1947, when he appeared in Donovan's Brain. Roma Wine presents Suspense. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you a star, Mr. Orson Welles, in which he will appear as the protagonist of Kurt Jodmak's novel, Donovan's Brain. We again hope to keep you in Suspense. now outside my laboratory door writing under the heading experiment 87 this final entry in my casebook I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter but for those who seek some explanation I refer them simply to this casebook let them read it carefully from its first entry on that ill-starred day of July the 13th July 13th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory, and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. So I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline, resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream which would throw off my observation. So I fed it, and finally the creature voluntarily crept up into my arms, uttering little whimpers of content. When it laid its head against my shoulder, I stabbed it with a surgical lancet. It died instantly. David, what do you think of it? Well, it's pretty amazing, all right. See what I've done, don't you? I I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all that, I'm only a second-year medical I student. I know, but what other was a second-year student? Who is this? It's me, Janet. Come in, darling. Patrick, Dr. Schrock is here to see you. Oh, come on in, doctor. You know our son, David, of course. Yes, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, doctor. Well, Patrick, hard at it as usual, I see. Patrick, you didn't eat the lunch I sent in to well, you. Well, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain... What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh. What about the brain, Patrick? I've been trying to see how long I can keep the tissue alive. Oh, is that it in that jar? Oh, there's considerably more to it than just a jar, though. Want to see how it works? Is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. A variation of Corell's mechanical heart. The brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These rubber arteries are fixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries of the brain. The blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis to feed the tissue. Over here, I've installed a small rotary pump that forces the blood circulation. You see? But 
How do you know it's alive? It's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. They can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph up to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard. Here, I'll turn it on. See? <laughs> Quite effective, isn't it? Yes, it's effective. And it's it's wrong, Patrick. Terribly wrong. I tried to tell him, Dr. Shrutt. In heaven's name, what's wrong with it? Oh, Patrick, you and your mechanistic philosophy, trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick. And you're profaning. Nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. If I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there. Oh, Patrick, how, how do you know that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? The brain tissue itself is insensitive, you know that. That's a feeling look. I'll switch on the encephalograph. See? There. Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays. Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation now. Notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I wouldn't have believed it possible. <laughs> the trouble with you, Shrat, is that you don't really believe in science. Uh, have it your own way, Patrick. That's when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube. I'll be back. You leaving, old boy? Yes. Patrick. Hmm? Do me a favor, Patrick. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. Let it die? Huh. If it were within my power to grant that little brain would live forever. Orson Welles also appeared with Sir John Gielgud on the Sherlock Holmes series broadcast on the BBC in England. With Sir John Gielgud as Holmes, here's Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty. Good morning, Professor Moriarty. Good morning to you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I believe. How very charming that you play. How kind of you to say so. Mm. Won't you be seated, Professor Moriarty? I can spare you just five minutes. It's singularly good of you. Thank you. I will sit down. <clears throat> May I say something personal, Mr. Holmes? Certainly. Surprised to discover that you have rather less cranial development than one might have expected. Well, as you, on the contrary, have rather more than I had imagined, Professor. You will recollect, I am sure, however, that Beethoven's outdid us both. <laughs> however, our personal characteristics are hardly relevant to the present situation. What have you really got to say to me? Uh, well, perhaps I only suggested, of course, perhaps it is a dangerous habit to finger. Loaded firearms in the pocket of one's dressing gown, Mr. Holmes. Ah, uh, evidently you share that dangerous habit, Professor. I see that you keep your hand in the pocket of your morning coat. <laughs> Supposing we lay our pistols and our cards on the table. By all means. I was about to suggest it myself. Ah, right. I see you favor the Mauser type, Mr. Holmes. And without a silence, you must permit me to present you sometime with one of these small devices of my own design. They're quite convenient in avoiding unpleasant noise. How very kind of you, Professor. You must ask the hangman to deliver it to me as your last request. You evidently don't know me, Mr. Holmes. 
On the contrary, I think I know you better than you know yourself. I wouldn't take up your gun again, Professor. I've already got you covered with mine. So I perceive, but I assure you it was only to give a harmless demonstration. Not to Dr. Watson, that's somewhat over. I beg your pardon. No doubt, amiable friend of yours. It's those marks on the wall there made from your indoor revolver practice. Quite so. The initials there, V.R. Victoria Regina, God save her majesty. Now that I see them, I think they're not quite as symmetrical as they might say. One side of the view is a little short, I think. Permit me to correct the slip. Admirable Professor Moriarty. You were perfectly right, of course. That little mistake has now been rectified. I would like, however, if I may, to improve upon it. Your bullet mark is perhaps a shade smaller than my own. Permit me. Admirable. Yes, precisely above your own mark, Professor. The exact Spot, I think. No, no, pray don't look alarmed. My good landlady is quite accustomed to that noise. We shall not be disturbed. I'm very glad of it, but I have to say it's not without importance, Mr. Holmes. Shall we stop our fencing and begin? By all means, if you will permit me first to correct one statement that you made just now. Well, sir? With reference to my friend Dr. Watson. I'm afraid I can hardly permit the adjective bovine. Oh. In his account of my humble exploits, He's been good enough to exaggerate my own achievements and has always been unduly modest about his own. He is a most upright and honorable gentleman, Professor, and very close to my heart. You may say what you will about me, but I can allow no derogatory words about him. Very well, Mr. Holmes. I apologize. We who are about to die salute him. And now, once again, for all who have requested them, here's Don Amici and Francis Langford as the Bickersons. After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or sluggard's disease, John Bickerson has finally consented to allow Dr. Hersey to relieve his condition. Oh, hello, Doctor. Is he resting? I gave him a sedative that'll quiet him down. He isn't very quiet. Oh. Well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. He won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatever. Will it hurt him? Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula. <laughs> I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hersey, but... How much will it cost? The fee will be $50 with the anesthetic. How much is it without the anesthetic? <laughs> oh, I should say about $40. Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic? Not for me, there wouldn't. <laughs> but I wouldn't advise the operation without it. And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first, about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything. I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John! Wake up! What's the matter, Bryce? What's the matter? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, I hung up... John! We're in the hospital. No force. Somebody's sick? No, you're going to have an operation. Dr. Hersey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then what did you wake me up now for? <laughs> well, you were snoring. I was afraid, afraid you'd wear it off before he got a chance to operate. Uh... You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose, suppose I want to sleep, too? You're not sleeping here, are you? Yes, I am. It costs an extra $5 to put another cot in the room, and I intend to use it. Where's my nightgown? I can't get one night's sleep, even in the hospital. 
I still don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do it. I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress. What are you beefing about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around in a short uvula. <laughs> Crabby. I'm not crabby, I'm sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling around with that mirror and put out the lights? I have to get undressed, don't I? Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of the night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't know you had bald eyelids. My eyelids are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. <laughs> what kind of remark is that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair? It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. I have to wear it with the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Darn it, I can't get out of this dress. Blanche! What are those things? Don't be so silly. Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before? Well, I never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chair. What about it? That's you all over, Blanche. A woman can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now? Yes, dear, I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little? No. Put out the lights. I want to glance at the paper first. You go to sleep. I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home. Well, I won't be a minute. Oh, nobody believed this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest. Shh. Here, I'm I can't concentrate with you mumbling. Yeah, mumbling, mumbling, mumbling. Certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk. <laughs> Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hersey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. That's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. See, the stock market's going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year? Ten shares. Kentucky saltpeter mines. <laughs> Preferred stock. My brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is it now? In the ground. Can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Are you getting relaxed, dear? No, now I'm starting to get nervous. I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think? We ought to sneak out, huh? No, I think you ought to make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercy of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, Don't they'll... talk like that! <laughs> Can't you say pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother. <laughs> you should be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you a two weeks' notice, you know. <laughs> Every man should make out a will. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. Get up and do it now. What? Go on, get up and make out a will. Why, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in the second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. 
Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You're the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. Now, there's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will and nobody can touch anything except you. Okay, so now you got all my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief and marry a guy without a dollar to his name, like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hersey. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice and take you for every penny. My hard-earned money. He'll drive around in my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, loaf around like a prince, never do a day's work. John! Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? <laughs> Stop screaming like that. Hush up and go to sleep. <laughs> go to sleep, she tells me. I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> The telephone. Mm -hmm. The telephone. Answer. No. Who the dickens is calling? Out. <laughs> Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get up for? It's right on the night table by your bed. Oh, I thought I was home. Hello. Mrs. Weems. Huh? This is the maternity nurse. You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby in for his one o'clock meeting. What? Blanche, how long have I been here? Isn't this four thirteen? I don't know what it is, but I'm not feeding any babies. <laughs> Way to run a hospital. It's just a mistake, John. Oh, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser. Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away. The turkey would gobble. I can just see... Turkey? What turkey? Well, I was going to surprise you. I want a turkey in a raffle, John. You got a live turkey running around the house? He isn't running around. I got him tied on your bed. <laughs> On my bed? What did you do that for? To have the whole thing full of feathers? What are we going to do with a live turkey? Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner. I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived. I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. I, I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation. Hmm? I don't think I want you to have it. It's the least I can do for you. I've kept you awake all these years of my snoring, and when Dr. Hersey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse. Well, if you stop snoring, I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we? That's right. That settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John. Why not? It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on home. Oh, I give up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the American Forces Radio and Television Service proudly presents The Retirement 2, yes, third. Harry, my boy, did you know that if you retire from the armed forces, the government gives you 120 days free life insurance? I know. After that, they arrange a very low-cost policy that covers you the rest of your life? I know, and I'm not interested. Not interested? No, sir, George, if I can't take it with me, I'm not going. Another thing. Retirees from the armed forces are entitled to take part in the referral program. That's where the Department of Defense Computer matches up your service training with openings in industry, right? That's what it does. Only thing is, in civilian life, who wants my strange exotic specialty? Which is? I'm a mess cook. Financial security, retirement pay, life insurance. Those are just a few of the benefits from the armed forces. Find out about all of them from your personnel officer. Yes, sir. 
You know, commercials have always been an important part of radio and, of course, television, too. Here's vocalist Frankie Lane doing one of those record pitches which we see and hear from time to time. Hi, I'm Frankie Lane. You know nothing could ever match the thrill of making a million record seller. My heart knows what the wild goose knows. And I'm now the Longines Symphonette Society has put the greatest million-dollar sellers of the past into two fantastic albums. Yes, the wonderful Kingston Trio. Hang down your head, Tom, to leave. And I'm sure you remember this fabulous song by K-Star. And this big breakthrough record by Les Paul and Mary Ford. They're all here. The million dollar sellers like Teresa Brewer, the McGuire sisters, the Ames brothers, Georgia Gibbs, Kiss of Fire. And now you can have all of these original hits for just $5.95 and that's not all. As part of this very special TV offer, we will send you, as a bonus, a third album of the Million Dollar Sellers, such as Dean Martin's Memories Are Made of This and Joe Stafford's You Belong to Me. The pyramids along the night. And if you act right now, you'll get a double bonus album with more Million Dollar songs like That's Amore, Call Me Irresponsible, and more. So that's the two record collection plus the two bonus albums, 60 songs in all. Yours on this very special offer for just five ninety five. Well, that's the commercial. But you know, I think Johnny Carson topped Frankie Lane when he did his own version of the record pitch the night he sold the documentary album of famous disasters. You know, I've already had the pleasure of bringing you the Hindenburg disaster, <laughs> the invasion of Pearl Harbor, and the sinking of the Titanic. Well, now here's our follow-up album. Great events in history you may have missed, such as the sound of what was then called the Jersey City Disaster. Remember that? Yes, that, friends, that was the dramatic sinking off the New Jersey coast of a cement box containing a really angry guy named Big Ralph. Another great moment you'll hear, Richard Nixon telling his biggest joke at a presidential news conference and reception it got from the crowd. Also, friends, you'll receive... I know most of you missed that. Also, you'll receive the much-talked-about sound portion of Dr. Joyce Brothers' first television appearance, during which you hear the distinct That's right. Those were her knees locking together. Yes, friends. You'll receive all of these and many more, all for the price of only $5.95. Per sound. <laughs> the price for the entire record is $245. So send your $245 to Bad News Record Offer directly to me, Jim DeBeachy, room 27, the Trixie Motel in New York. If you don't mind, send it quick, folks. I'm, I'm in trouble. Remember, that's Jim DeBeachy, Bad News, Trixie Motel. You can forget the room number. I'll, I'll be hanging around the lobby. <laughs> Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. By the way, the commercial announcements heard on this program were for entertainment purposes only and not an endorsement of the Department of Defense. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.